Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Sidney J. Fury's Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1987 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Full Metal Jacket, The Last Emperor, which would go on to win Best Picture next year, The Princess Bride, Dirty Dancing, Evil Dead 2, Robocop, Predator, The Untouchables, The Lost Boys, Lethal Weapon, Wall Street, and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I'm going to throw out two honorable, well, excuse me, dishonorable mentions, Ishtar and Over the Top. I've always wanted to see Ishtar. I've seen Over the Top multiple times, and it is so bad, it is good. From that year, we have reviewed The Living Daylights. I will link to that review in the show notes below. Just going over the films of 87, I would say it's a pretty good year and somewhat of a landmark year for movies. I mean, Robocop, Predator. I mean, personally, I love The Lost Boys. Um, Lethal Weapon, Richard Donner's film, um, because, spoiler alert, he turned this one down. And, of course, I think a lot of people would consider Full Metal Jacket to be maybe a classic at this point. I don't think a lot of people saw Last Emperor. Go check that one out. It actually stars Peter O'Toole who infamously appeared in the movie from last week, the Supergirl movie, which is what I reviewed last week, and your guide to that is up. So go check out all of my Superman reviews so far if you haven't heard those. If you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 87, then head over to letterbox.com. Make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 59th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Platoon. Well, it just keeps getting worse. After the abysmal failure of Superman 3 and even worse failure of Supergirl, the Salkins finally sold the rights to Superman to the Canon Film Group for $5 million in 1985. Canon convinced Reeve to return by offering him $6 million, also financing for his own movie Street Smart and a story-slash-director approval. Reeve decided to rip the story for the film straight from the headlines. He based it on the failed talks between the U.S. and Soviet Union over nuclear peace. Remember, this was at the height of the Cold War. Surprisingly, Reeve nearly chose himself to direct the film, but he was eventually deemed too inexperienced. He did do a little bit of second unit shooting, but they did return to Richard Donner, believe it or not. Uh, he refused, obviously, since he had already moved on from the project, and like I said, Lethal Weapon kicked off that year, which was a far greater success than this film. As you heard just a little bit ago, Nightmare 3 did come out that year, and Craven did have story input on the third film. Unfortunately, Craven and Reeve did not get along. And honestly, I can't even understand why they would have picked Craven. He definitely would have brought, I think, a lot more professionalism to this movie and story. He probably wanted a lot more control than Reeve was allowing him to give up. This is all speculation, as far as I know. And he definitely probably would have brought more of a horror and maybe a bit more of a sinister edge to it, which I think would be interesting. But these Superman movies have always been very, very lighthearted. Reeve was pushing for Ron Howard to take over the director's chair, but the studio settled for Fury. At the time, Fury really didn't have much of a claim to fame, and he still really never went on to do anything noteworthy, at least anything I've ever heard of before. Uh, he had just come out with Iron Eagle a year before that. I had never heard of this movie until I did research into this film. So really, just knowing him as the guy that directed Superman 4, that's really his claim to fame. He was a fairly unknown person, 
You know what my take is? He probably came cheap, very cheap. And as we're about to discuss, they needed cheap stuff, especially if they're paying Reeve $6 million alone for this film. So, Cannon was in trouble. That is a whole another story that we can't fully delve into here on the background. But Canon was a studio that was making B pictures. It wanted to make bigger pictures and they saw Superman four as their way to break into the big dogs game. Like, you know, what 20th century Fox was in Warner brothers was in, but they were in trouble financially because they were stretching themselves too thin. They were making a ton of different movies at once and they were putting all of their eggs in one basket Eventually, they would actually go under, the company would fold, but the already meager $36 million budget for this film would be slashed down to a paltry $17 million, which is pretty embarrassing for a Superman property, especially since these films have done okay-ish at the box office. I would say enough to warrant more than that. Uh, both cast and crew quickly realized, though, they were in trouble. The only way Cannon made it out alive was by inking a deal with Warner Brothers, which is why you see Warner Brothers names back in the credits. Because as we know, with maybe Superman 3 or Supergirl, I can't remember which, Warner Brothers had jumped ship and they just let the Sulkins do whatever they wanted with it. Reeve did regret his decision to be involved in this film. Years later, he said, quote, Superman 4 was a catastrophe from start to finish. That failure was a huge blow to my career. That quote is taken from Christopher Anderson's book, Somewhere in Heaven, The Remarkable Story of Dana and Christopher Reeve. As far as merchandising goes, you can guess there wasn't a whole lot, considering they were pinching pennies at this point. Bonnie Bryant did adapt the novelization, including deleted scenes. I would be curious how well she did that, because sometimes novelizations can incorporate deleted material to make a more well-rounded story. A lot of this deleted material, we're going to talk about it in the review next week. It's on the disc, so I got to see it, and it is a lot. Uh, DC also released a comic book adaptation of the film. Of course, this movie didn't go to the Academy Awards. Only the first one and Superman Returns have that honor. This did go to the Razzie Awards once again. Um, surprisingly, it was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. I don't think she deserved it. Marielle Hemingway, who plays Lucy Warfield in the film, Clark Kent's love interest, was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress, but she did lose out to Daryl Hannah in Wall Street. Honestly, I never really liked Daryl Hannah in anything, so it's fine with me. This movie did also get nominated for Worst Visual Effects, which, if you've seen the movie, you would agree with it most likely. That dishonor went to Jaws the Revenge. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about critical reaction, what audiences thought. We know the budget was a pretty meager $17 million. This is sad, honestly, listeners. So the film opened number four at the box office opening weekend. Every other movie, including Supergirl before it, had opened at number one. Even though Supergirl only opened with $5.7 million, this opened with five point six. It's not a huge difference there, but number four is pretty abysmal. That just to me showed audiences didn't give a rip about going to go see a Superman movie. And it also came out in June, June 24th, 1987, returning to the release formula of two and three. I don't know. That's kind of in the summer month. That is really kind of betting big. This, this movie, honestly, should have come out in January. I think this is going to shock a lot of you listeners, at least the second bit of information here. RoboCop 
did come in at number one. It was number one the week prior. That was doing big. It was in its second week. This is the shocking part. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was in re-release. Yes, the original Disney classic was in re-release, opened with $6 million. Um, and remember, VHS was coming into its own at this point, but re-watching films wasn't widely available. So getting to take your kids to go see a Disney movie and an old one at that, I mean, he was even old for back then, 50 years old at least, was a big deal. Summer School opened at number three, six million bucks from Paramount Pictures. Superman 4 clocked in at number four and La Bamba came in at number five. It should also be noted that this film debuted and ultimately played in less theaters, probably due to budgetary constraints, even though Warner Brothers was in charge of distribution. The other film, Superman 2, was in 1800, 3 was in 1700. This was in 1500 theaters. So the reach just wasn't as far as well. It would grow on to domestically gross a embarrassingly low 15.6 million dollars and if this budget was 17 million and they probably did do a little bit of merchandising that they probably had to pay for themselves this was not enough this was not canon's saving grace that it was really hoping for 15 million i don't even know if it really played in foreign markets i don't have those numbers all i know is that this film was a huge disappointment it didn't even it didn't even make a profit for them so it should come as no surprise just financially nobody was going to bet on another superman movie for a long time going off of scores letterboxd has it as a 1.6 the lowest in the series it's horrible imdb has the series low of 3.7 i mean when supergirl is doing better yeah that movie was bizarre to say the least Metascore is finally in the red with a 24 um, critic approval rating. That means um, definitely negative reviews. Um, not a series low. Supergirl's 1% lower here on Rotten Tomatoes critics of 10% approval rating and a series low Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 16%. So these numbers, just a very small fraction. 90% of critics didn't approve and you know what, 84% of audiences didn't like this movie. Cinema score is finally kicking in here with a C for some reason. They missed out on Supergirl and the other one seems a little surprising to me. A C is pretty awful. So all around this movie bombed, audiences and critics both hated it. A lot of people just straight up didn't go see it in general. They just didn't give a care. Thank you listeners for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we witness the shack attack of steel. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show.
No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.